Kia I'm Maria. I'm Modi and Pakia. And I'm Kate, and I'm Iranian-Australian. And you're listening to Being Biracial. The podcast all about navigating the world as a biracial person. We want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the unceded sovereign lands of the Boon and Woiwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We're going to offer our respect to the elders of these lands, past, present and those yet to come. And also acknowledge traditional custodians from the lands where this podcast is reaching you. And also really acknowledge that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders are the first storytellers of this land. And that's what we're doing in this podcast, storytelling. So Today we are going to be chatting to Asamenya about being biracial. Azzy is a teacher. She is the new parent of an 11-month-old. Uh, she's very crafty and dabbles in a lot of different artistic practices, from weaving to embroidery and, and I love this, <laughs> plays baritone horn and used to be in a brass band. Azzy, we're so excited for you to be on the podcast today. Welcome to the studio. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. So we always kick off by asking, what's your mix? Ah, yes. So my mix is Greek and Filipino. Who's Greek and who's Filipino? So my dad is Greek and my mum is a Filipino. How did they meet? They met in the Philippines. My dad um, went over there. He had a friend who... Whose wife may have known my mum? Yeah, wow. And they went out uh, together, and uh, my mum came to meet him, and yeah, went from there. And so, was your dad living in Greece at the time? No, he was actually living here in Australia. Yeah, he'd been here for a while, maybe almost twenty years by that point, and yeah, decided it was high time he got married. <laughs> Um, and yeah, met my mum and they came back here, uh, uh, to Muldura where my dad was living at the time. So yeah. And that's where I was born and grew up and. Wow. Okay. I don't know that much about Muldura except that it is very far away from Melbourne. It is very far away from Melbourne and, um, everywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like growing up in Muldura? Um, very hot, very hot, certainly. Um, it was, it was a really nice place to grow up though, um, with the river and, and all of that. I also feel too, for my particular experience, um, being Greek and Filipino, there were both, uh, two quite large Greek and Filipino communities in Muldura. Um, so I have a lot of friends um, from when I was growing up who also had like a Filipino parent or who were Greek as well or, you know, mixed in some fashion as well. So, Oh, that's nice. Just yeah. a little bit of little pocket of community. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite nice. I guess, yeah, for us growing up, for me and my siblings, you know, we were surrounded by people who were similar to us in some way. I knew of a lot of people who had one Filipino parent. So I guess I was constantly seeing, like one of my best friends, her dad was Italian and her mum is Filipino. And, you know, there's another girl I know from home who has that background. Another girl I know is Filipino and Hungarian, you know, like, and then there are other people who are Filipino and Australian, like, you know, like it's not that uncommon. Um, Or, I mean, it it wasn't certainly for me um, to meet, families like that so yeah that makes me super jealous that you grew up with all of the like wonderful yeah. community around you looking around and being like I'm not the only person yeah no it, it definitely was great so do you think that when you were growing up in these incredibly like mixed uh social circles and groups did you have a strong sense of your biracial identity um I, I guess so like I I, I knew that I was Greek and I knew that I was Filipino. Um, but I think, um, I, like, I distinctly remember feeling like I had different circles in which I 
existed, you know. So I had like my Filipino friends and then I had my Greek friends and then I had my school friends and sometimes they would intersect but um, more often than not it was it's this group of people and that group of people and that group of people. We love compartmentalising, don't yeah. we? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What did your household look like? Like, what type of food was on the table? What language was spoken? Like, it, both of those cultures are like really strong, aren't they? Yeah. Um. So primarily, English. English mm-hmm. was spoken. Um. I guess my parents, you know, used their own languages with friends and and that mm. sort of thing. People that we would interact with. My brother and I, um, because there's only 18 months between us, um, we went to Greek school for a couple of years and that didn't really stick. <laughs> um, yeah, like I can still, I can I can like read Greek letters and sound things out, but um, yeah, not really much more than that. And then with my sister, because she's 10 years younger than me, by that point... Maybe my parents had just sort of given up on on the kids learning Greek and um, my mum would use a lot more Filipino with my sister. And so she, um, certainly when she was younger, could understand, you know, what was being said to her. And, yeah, I feel like for the three of us, you know, there are probably certain terms and, um, yeah, terms and, and things that we are familiar with or know but... Yeah, beyond that. I think too, like there was a lot of pressure to acquire the language, maybe not enough um, support outside of outside of the Greek school setting. Like, you know, it was only like one night a week for a couple of hours. Yeah, like I used to teach Indonesian and so, you know, um, if I think about the amount of classes a week, you know, kids would have doing languages at school and then um, all the extra exposure and stuff that that you could um, have to help develop your language. Like there was no, nothing like that really. So it's not surprising that, that we didn't really pick up much Greek. One time I remember when my dad was asking me for the newspaper – but for some reason, I thought he was asking for the razors. So I went to the bathroom and I was like, they're right here. And he said, no, 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 I want the newspaper. It's like, what? <laughs> Please don't expect me to know this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just, yeah. So you taught Indonesian. Do you speak Indonesian? Yeah, yes. I will say yes, but and- not very well anymore because it's been a couple of years since I taught. Did you feel weird about knowing Indonesian but not like having those missing Mm. links between like Filipino and Greek? Yes and no. I I do feel that me studying Indonesian came as a result of seeing that I didn't have any Greek or Filipino and then being like, I want my own language. I go get my own language and at school the options were like uh, Indonesian or Italian. So, you know, the, then the Italian teacher went to France and was like, okay, I'll do Indonesian then. And, uh, yeah, had a really cool Indonesian teacher and just went from there, did it at uni. Yeah, really enjoyed um, doing Indonesian and then went off and started teaching. Yeah. It seems to be quite common that people pick a third language because you, thir- you have a different language. Uh, we just had someone in here who speaks Japanese and she's mm. not Japanese mm. eth- ethnically. I think for me there was something easier. So I speak Mandarin and there was something easier about the lack of expectation mm. that was put on me to yep. have any kind of knowledge of that language. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's it's your own um, it's your own thing, you know. Um, it's not connected to anybody else and it's – solely driven by you and I guess you can decide when uh, or how much you use it and yeah it's like you said there isn't that whole weight of expectation like you are of this background you should speak this language Um, yeah it's that's that's definitely something that I felt with Indonesian yeah 
And it's funny because I think at various points on my own identity journey, uh, so for example, so I also did, um, my story is exactly the same in terms of like, I had an option of doing Indonesian or Chinese or German. They were the three languages and I just chose Chinese and then I did it at university and um, here I am. Mm. Now I speak Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and a choice that really was made without much intention. Mm. Um, and I think a lot at university, a lot of the people that were also studying Chinese were Chinese Australian mm. immigrant going through their own kind of identity journey through language mm, mm. and I wasn't. Yeah. And I think at that time I was early early stages and so I really distinctly remember one of my friends, Su Lin, saying to me, but have you ever thought about learning Farsi? And like why you – like kind of mm. why are you learning Chinese? Yeah. It seems so random. Yeah. And at that time I was quite defensive and was like, well, mm. can I just be good at language yeah. and, and can I just choose to take this path if I want and it doesn't have to be all so connected mm-hmm. to my place in the world? Yeah. This kind of reminds me of a conversation I've had with, um, with my husband about MasterChef and contestants of – being from, you know, a certain ethnic background and if they cook outside their background, the judges are like, oh, but why aren't you doing Chinese food or why aren't you doing, you know, a cuisine that's related to your background? But, yes, you know, if, if you can cook, why, why can't you cook any sort of cuisine? Yes. You know, like being pigeonholed into, into a certain category based on your personal History, I guess, your background. Do you ever feel like you get pigeonholed for your name as well? Because it's a pretty ethnic name. How do you feel about it? Because we had a yarn just before we started talking about how to pronounce your name and you, and it was like you had a script ready. Yes. Um, so first of all, I will just say that I love my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, really like that it is not – the sort of name that um, you see around a lot. I enjoy the uniqueness of my name. Um, I also like the story behind my name. So it, uh, my name is Asimanya and I was named after my dad's mum, which is the Greek tradition. Um, generally, the, you know, the first um, daughter will be named after the father's mum. The first son will be named after the father's father, which is the case with my brother. Um, And then, you know, uh, so there's that. Um, It's a a variation on her name um, and it means silver. Um, So I really like my name. That being said, uh, having my name in a place like Australia is a bit more difficult. Um, so for a while there, when I was at school, I'm not really sure how it came about, but, um, my name went from, I guess, being, from being Asimania to Azamenia to just Azzy for short, because, you know, in Australia we love shortening things and putting an E on the end or something along those lines. Definitely glad it was Azzy and not like Azzo, um, (laughs) Azza. Mine would be Muzza. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was Robbo. <laughs> nice, nice. As he's beautiful, yes, I like it. I'm pretty. I'm pretty pleased. I mean, I've had the odd. I mean, it is a pretty crap coffee name. Generally, I just go. I go. What's your name? I go. Asi. A S I. There's no way you can get it wrong now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Um. So yeah, that is. Annoying. Um, one of the things I hate most in the world is having to spell my name over the phone. <sighs> because uh, in addition to my eight-letter first name, I have a nine-letter surname, um, which also needs to be spelt. The other day I, I was actually thinking, because um, I was calling up about uh, some daycare that I was arranging for my daughter, and she has her father's three-letter surname. And I did have a moment where I went, 
why didn't I just change my name? But then at the same time, he doesn't have to change his name. So I'm keeping my name. Is your surname Greek? It is Greek, yep. So first and last, both Greek, no middle. Yep. Are you a pro at the phonetic alphabet? <laughs> um, you mean like the radio alphabet, like <laughs> yeah. Alpha, Bravo? No, I, I make up my own as I go. Like <laughs> so do I. A for Apple, S for Sam, I for <laughs> Igloo. And then, and then like I'll use a different one towards the end of the name, like where yeah. I double up. Yeah. No, I really, I really do. I really should get that, that alphabet down. Um, <laughs> yeah. So at least, you know. She won't need to worry about that. Did you and your partner have a discussion about when you were naming your daughter, whether you would give her a a name that linked to your cultural heritage or your partner's cultural heritage? Um, we we did. Um, you know, like there was there was an idea of possibly maybe finding a Greek name, um, but in the end, you know, there wasn't anything that we really liked, um, and we did strike upon a name that we did like which she um, has. So, yeah. And then um, my husband's family is um, Chinese background. Um, So I guess we always um, knew that she was going to be given a Chinese name from her grandparents. Um, And that's uh, um, ended up being like a variation on her English name, (laughs) her her legal birth certificate name. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. My dad even asked me if we were going to name our daughter after my husband's mother. And um, I was like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, <gasps> just, you know, we don't really want to. Yeah, we want to give her her own name, which, um, you know, like, yeah. At, as much as I, I do like that I was named after my grandmother, which I feel like I like that particularly because there is that lineage there and never having met her and perhaps not appearing as Greek as as my name, having that connection there. I like that aspect of it. Yeah. But like I feel like maybe if if we had been born in, in the Philippines, um, then we might have had my mum's maiden name as our middle name because that is something that they do over there. So that's something that we did um, for my daughter. So she does have my surname as her middle name, um, but it's her middle name because then she can use the easier to spell and pronounce names for everything, and yet she still carries this part of her Greek heritage um, and continues the name on for another generation. And doesn't have a double barrel last name. It's true. Because I have a double barrel last (laughs) name and my work email is long. Yes. Look, nine letters is is long enough as is. Three letter surname, fantastic. (laughs) Yep. Chef's kiss. Yep. We love to see it. (laughs) In raising your daughter, do you and your partner have discussions about how to incorporate both of your cultural heritage into that? Yes, yeah, I think we do. Um, it's, it's. I guess it's, it's mostly thinking about what she might be able to get from her grandparents. Yeah, so from my parents and from my husband's parents. Like he has quite an extended family here, and we, you know, go and try to go and see them like you know at least once a week. And um, when they're all together, they like to speak in Cantonese, and so we're hoping that she will be able to pick up some Cantonese as well from that exposure and and that would be, yeah, that would be really great if she could pick up some of that language. Also too, I think because I guess unlike my parents who use English as their lingua franca, with my husband's family, most of the time, especially when, when they have get-togethers, everyone's talking in Cantonese, you know, so um, especially with the older generation. So it would be really great if, if our daughter could pick up that language and have that connection. Is it making you reflect on um, the choices that your parents made growing up and while you're raising your daughter? Um, yeah, certainly. But at the same time, you know, I can I can see how it would have been difficult, say, if, if they both wanted to use 
their own languages with us, not having as much fluency with each other's languages. It would have been harder. You know, you would have needed to go into the lingua franca regardless. Yeah, for my for my parents, I guess there's that. You've got two cultures and then we're also living here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that third element that needs to be considered as well. And the language that they had in common, like if it was a Venn diagram, it would be Filipino on one side, mm-hmm. English in the middle and Greek on the other yep. side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've we've talked to a few other people that have kids and um, one of the things that they've brought up is whether like the choices in, for example, books that they're reading their kids is is something and making sure that those stories are, are diverse and that's something that certainly wasn't a thing for mm-hmm. me growing up in the 90s. Um, I, I actually um, went to a friend's baby shower last weekend and I um, bought some books for the kid and I wanted to get, you know, one book that I had enjoyed as a child and um, that was Magic Beach by Alison Lester Um, and it's this like really incredible book where the kids are playing on the sand or doing different things on one page and then on the next page it's like what they're in their imagination they're doing and when I looked at those kids I was like, oh, they've almost all of them are white Mm. and and these were the things that I was subconsciously, these messages were what I was getting. And and I had a, had a moment where I was like, do I give this to my friend's kid? Like mm. what message and then am I sending? Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It's so mm. political. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely. Certainly before um, I had my daughter while I was pregnant, um, you know, I was thinking about, oh, what kind of books, you know, do I want to get for her and um, – like I ordered these books. There's a there's a woman in Adelaide who has written this series of books um, on Instagram. Uh, she goes by Ikoyenya, which means family in Greek. Um, and so she's written these books about um, family, different family members. So like there's a Papu book, which is grandfather, Yaya, grandmother. Yeah, so I got the Yaya and Papu one. And they're bilingual, so they've got English and Greek. Um, and I found some. I found another bilingual book by a woman here in Australia. I mean, Australia in Melbourne. And you know, I so I also have those. And I guess my plan is that my dad will eventually be able to read them to my daughter. Slash, maybe by the time that she's um, a bit bigger and less inclined towards ripping things. <laughs> and chewing on things, um, then maybe I will have brushed up my Greek reading and I can read it to her. At the same time, I think at the age she is now, it just needs to be something that will survive her chewing it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have memories growing up of seeing yourself in, in books or television or movies, for instance? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I do remember being um, quite excited when Smallville came out and it had, um, what was her name, Kristen Croak or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And she was not white and the main girl character. The main love interest. Yes, the love interest, no less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. as opposed to, say, someone like the Yellow Power Ranger. <laughs> like uh, a sidekick, really. The Yellow Power Ranger. Oh, I have so many feelings about being the Yellow Power Ranger. Yeah. Like the Yellow Power Ranger was just not the power. Like you wanted to be the Pink Power Ranger 100%. every day of the week. It's so sad. Have you spent much time in Greece or the Philippines? A little, yeah. So um, I've been to the Philippines twice with my family over the years. And then in 2019, um, my family, we were actually lucky to go over to Greece. Um, we went for five weeks and it was it was amazing. It was actually the first time that my dad had been back to Greece since he came here to Australia. Whoa. Uh, so it was like 50 plus years since he had um, gone back to Greece. Um, so we went to his village and finally got to meet my aunt and my cousins. Um, went to cemetery to see where my grandparents were 
were buried. Um, yeah, got to spend some time in his village. Um, went traveling around. Um, yeah, it was it was really really good. Um, and I am so grateful that we went in 2019 because 2020, no, nah, no chance. Yeah. How did you feel when you were there? Did people clock you as Greek? Greek? Greece. Um, I guess if we were with my dad, then, you know, they knew who we were in that, in that sense. Um, and then again, also with my name, you know, like if I would be introduced to people, they'd be like, ah, you know, you're named after you. Yeah. Did they, did they assume that you spoke Greek as well? Um, I, I think... If they did, they were quickly disabused of that notion. Nice. Yeah. I mean, my aunt only uh, basically only speaks Greek. So um, when I was a kid, um, as, as lovely as my aunt is, it would be quite terrifying for me to pick up the phone and it would be my aunt from Greece on the other end of the line because she would speak Greek and I would freak out and look around the house desperately for someone anyone who could speak Greek back to her. Um, but it was really lovely to meet her and um, try and, you know, use a little little of, you know, of the Greek that I did know um, to try and, you know, communicate with her. And, yeah, like before we went to Greece, my husband and I actually did a term of, um, of, of Greek language lessons. Um, which was really good just to brush up on 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 things um, that I may you know learnt as a kid but had sort of forgotten. Um, but again, I think it's just sort of added to the bank of knowledge and and maybe using it is is a bit more difficult because those connections aren't there. How did you feel when you were in the Philippines? Um, I I don't re- I don't really remember the first time that we went to the Philippines, uh, I was nine, almost 10. So, I mean, I, I remember having a lot of fun and going around and that kind of thing. Um, I, I remember distinctly being told that if I got lost in a crowd, they would be able to find me. But if my brother got lost, they would not be able to find him. What? Why? I think because he looked, um, a little bit more Filipino and I was a little bit more mixed. Um, my brother, there are some photos um, of my brother where he looks like the spitting image of my mum's dad, which is really quite nice. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like, you know, the times that we went to the Philippines, um, we were with our, with our family as well, you know, with my cousins and my aunts and uncles. and So I really enjoyed being able to spend time with them. Have you and your brother talked about the impact of, you know, how mixed you both of you look has what impact that has had on your lives or, you know, your experiences in school or how you connect to your identities? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't – I mean, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if it's a – if being mixed is a conversation that I've really had with um, with either of my siblings. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard. We – like, I have two brothers. Um, one of my brothers, we interviewed him. For this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's just not something that you think about because these are people that you've grown up with your mm. whole life. Kate's mm. an only child, so cannot relate. <laughs> um, you know, people that you've grown up with your whole life, you just assume that you know a lot of things about their experience and mm. stuff. So, mm. you know, co- lots of these conversations go unsaid. Yeah. And, and I think also, too, you assume that your experience is the same as their experience. And so finding out that it's actually was a little bit different. Yeah, is always very interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't think it is something that we've really talked about. Um, do you have other friends that you have the biracial chat or mixed race oh, yeah. chat with? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, one of my best friends from Muldura, who I grew up with, she is Filipino and and Italian. And then I have another friend whose background is her dad is Chinese Malaysian and her mum. Um, is a mixture of uh, Australian, like white Australian and um, Austrian Jewish. So, you know, her, her family also is quite mixed. 
Um, and yeah, we always talk about this stuff. It's like the the master chef conversation before when we were like, you don't have to cook the food that is your ethnicity, but when you find people that have this in common mm. with you, the floodgates be open. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like um, my friend who has the Chinese Malaysian um, background, she and I met while we were at uni studying Indonesian, and um, you know we. Uh, had our first class together and then, you know, went off and had lunch together and and sort of I can't remember whether it was her or whether it was me, but one of us sort of sent, tentatively said, you know, can I ask what, what is your background? Because um, I guess we could kind of sense that there was something about each other that was of interest there. Yeah, that sort of um, shared experience. And how how have the conversations kind of changed as, over the years? Mm. I guess certainly there's been a lot of conversations about being mixed race women um, in like the dating world. Certainly, um, like one of one of my friends hates hates the word exotic. Mm-hmm. Here for it, hate it. We also hate it. <laughs> yeah, hates it. Like, and it's one of the lead things that do say. Ugh. Yeah, it's so seen as a compliment, and I don't understand why. Yeah, yeah. she likes to say, you know, I'm not a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of talking about yeah. Being mixed and uh, dating and interacting with people who aren't mm-hmm. mixed. Like um, I caught up with these girls recently and one of them was saying how she found that she had certain conversations with her friends of um, her friends who were POC versus her friends who weren't, you know, like just different conversations. And, yeah, I feel I feel like that's. That's quite true. Absolutely. Yeah. We do the same thing. Mm. Uh, Compartmentalising. Mm. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> again. Yes, again. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just if you are having those if you if you're having conversations like you would with your POC friends where you're in a safe space where mm. um you know, you're not worried that something is gonna come out of the blue and like be super racist or super bad in a way that hurts your feelings uh, having those same conversations in white spaces you are on guard mm. you're worried you don't know what's going to happen um like it's you know something crazy could, could come out and you're like oh now i have to quit this job mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or like um cry in a closet now <laughs> thanks <laughs> it's just a minefield mm. i have a question yeah um what what term do you guys use when you talk about yourselves? Because um, I know when I was younger, I used to uh, use half and halfy a lot. Um, and, and recently I was just reflecting on that, um, I guess, because, I mean, for myself, it's, I guess you could say it's pretty easy to go straight down the middle. I've got one parent who is Greek and one parent who is Filipino. Um, but, you know, I, I look at my daughter and I think, well, halfy isn't really a term that works for her, um, because, you know, it's, it's not as cut and dry as with my parents and myself. Um, but also I think, um, that, you know, the word half, there's connected with that idea is that it's not whole. You know, so um, thinking in that way, um, I feel like it it leads to ideas of, um, well, if it's not whole, then it perhaps isn't enough. Um, and I, I know for myself, like I tend to think in, in absolutes, you know. Um, so when you were asking before if I speak Indonesian, like I would not consider myself um, even even back when I was using it quite a lot for work, I would not consider myself to be fluent because I, you know, don't always um, feel that I can speak it very well. 
And I guess that's based on a certain standard of fluency that I have in my head um, about what a person who is fluent in language should be able to do. And I feel just on reflection the last couple of days that perhaps that absolutism comes from, you know, spending a lot of time being I am half this and I am half that. And, you know, I perhaps feel that I can't fully be one thing or fully something else, you know, like, and I, and so I just sort of wonder like whether um, that thinking is something that you're familiar with. Like I, I think these days I prefer to say mixed. Um, it certainly is a more open way of, of describing my background and um, I guess isn't as rigid. Yeah, because even the term bi biracial mm. um, denotes a, a binary. Yes, and and it isn't that cut and dry. Mm. And um, and also it it does rely, um, I think, on the Western understanding of race. You know, like having these categories of of people, Asian or African or you know black or or um, Islander or white or, you know, what what is even meant by that? Like I was, yeah, I was talking to my husband about this. Um, like, you know, if you had someone who was Chinese and someone who was Japanese and someone who was not of those backgrounds or maybe who was from a white Western background might look at them and go, but are you biracial? <laughs> because you're from two Asian backgrounds, is that not? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and yet those are those are very different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely something that obviously we've been thinking about in making the podcast. Um, so a few of our guests, for instance, um, f- first of all, don't have white in their mix because I think there's something in that as well in an Australian context in particular. Um, and then one of our guests, Lauren, um, is half Laos, half Vietnamese. And that was a really interesting, I guess, learning for us to do about the difference in those two backgrounds and those two heritages and what that meant for how she conceived of herself in the world that I think was fascinating. And there's a few other guests that have similar mixes that exactly as you say, um, somebody who's not thinking about this all the time might just be like, oh, you're just Asian. Um, I think back to the like question of what term we used, um, I I have like – flipped and flopped a lot (laughs) to be honest and I think uh even when we were deciding what to name the podcast like do we call it do we do we center the word biracial do we center the word mixed do we center the word something else um that was something we were talking about and also like who do we want to interview and do they need to be a, a strict one one this country one that country um and we kind of landed at a place that we're really happy for people to s- kind of self-identify and, mm-hmm. and, and opt in um, and um, a- and that's kind of where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something that I, I equally have called myself mixed, like vaguely ethnic was something that I've said a lot growing up because then I didn't have to claim anything Mm. and I could feel more palatable in that space. Um, Biracial is actually a term that I've only come to later on. Um, And, yeah, like obviously the concept of race, there's there's so much in that to deconstruct in itself. And even um, like the idea of who gets to be white is another – is something else that we haven't Mm. really touched as well. Like if you were talking to me like – Two years ago, I would say that Greek people are white, mm. but would you? No. Yeah. Right. No. I mean, I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't, in terms of my own background. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm half Asian and half white. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I'm sure that there are 
many Greek people here in Australia who might consider themselves to be white um, or who might be considered white passing even, you know. So, it yeah, who gets to be white? Very complicated. Yeah, super, super complicated. If I was talking about in terms of myself, again, like Kate said, I've just been flip-flopping my whole life and I really wanted to be white for a long, long time um, until I was in my 20s, I think my early 20s, late mm. teens. And now I would probably identify more as a person of colour, even though umbrella term it kind of has these connotations of homogeny to it. But, um, yeah, more as a person of colour than um, – like mixed or biracial, um, but uh, when I um, like talk about my specific ethnicity, I would say that I'm Maori, and that would be a full stop after that because you know they're indigenous people of New Zealand, um, and in a lot of indigenous cultures, um, you know there's a big pushback against like blood quantum yes. and and stuff like that. So. Um, I fuck a papa, so I have family ties to Māoridom, so I am Māori. And I essentially tack on the Pākehā at the end, so that's mm-hmm. the Māori word for white people in New Zealand. Yeah, and I think when we were thinking about making this podcast, we did want to, like, we didn't want to make it about women of colour, for instance, because we wanted to talk about this specific experience and the, like, duality of mm. experience, because there is something. I think, missing in the conversation and for, for that space. Um, you mentioned duality. Like I, I do wonder um, if there is a difference in experience of, for people who um, say have one parent who might be a migrant um, or of migrant background and another parent who is from the majority culture um, versus someone who has two parents of different migrant backgrounds living in um, in amongst this majority culture. Well, yeah, I think that that's my experience. Yeah. Like my mum is Iranian and my dad is Australian. And um, so I think, yeah, I think I, and I grew up in country Victoria, but I think our experiences have been quite different in many ways, but then equally very similar in mm. some ways. And so it it is fascinating. I think there is, mm, I think with one migrant parent, there's a bit of a, um, yeah, like a power imbalance in, in the sense of like this is one person's home mm. originally and then one person has made a home here. And in terms of language, for instance, like I grew up, speaking English, but, you know, that we we were in Australia. Um, and I think certainly in some of the interviews we've done, uh, things that have played into that kind of experience that have made it a bit different are whether uh, people have spent time living in, for example, the migrant, in, in this context, the migrant parents' country. Mm. Um, so some people have spent you know, significant chunks of their life in in whatever other country. And so that then plays into their sense of identity too. And it's interesting because I think I feel very, like very at home in Iran and I have no issue with having that sense of belonging to that place that I wasn't born there. Mm -hmm. Like I haven't lived there for years but I like have a sense of belonging and, and I feel very comfortable claiming that. Mm. Something that someone said that um, I wanted to bring up because you were talking about this idea of being half is that um, <laughs> she said that when she was a kid, her mum said to her, um, Elena, you're not half, you're double. I like that. Which is right. so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and I can say that to my daughter. She's not, <laughs> you know, she's not a pizza. She's triple. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's part of like this idea of being half or even to be honest, the word mixed, like there's something in mixed that feels like it doesn't like capture me in a way. Like, and like I associate with the word mixed with like mixed up or like 
I don't know. That was actually one of the names that we had on the board mixed up. Well, I think it's someone else's podcast. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I think I've seen another podcast that's called Mixed Feelings that's about this kind of thing as well, which is a great title. I know. It's such a good name. Damn it. (laughs) But but there's something about mixed that seems uncertain, like mixed Mm. feelings mixed up, like there's an uncertainty there. Mm. Like, and I'm certain Mm. in some ways. Mm. And I'm Persian. Yeah, like 80% of the time. <laughs> I'm certain 100% of the time. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see yourself as a person of colour? Um, it's not really a term that I've thought mm. of with regards to myself. Yeah, it's. I think it's like only recently a term that I've really – noticed being around I guess um uh yeah like I I might use it to describe myself in a general sense um but yeah it isn't really something that I naturally sort of go towards it does like it definitely to me at least feels like an ethnic catch-all even though I was Mm. like I would totally identify over biracial or mixed, but yeah, it's, sometimes it can be used as a bit of an ethnic catch-all mm. for not white people. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah. But equally, I don't want to be identified by like like if the ca- the catch-all phrase was not white. Like mm. I don't I don't want to be the negative of whiteness. No. Mm-mm. What um, ethnicity do people assume that you are? I bet you get lots of weird ones. Um. Yeah, I've had some weird ones over the years. And by weird, I mean um, quite removed from what I actually am <laughs> because there's nothing actually wrong with those things. Um, so, yeah, like I've had like Egyptian, Spanish, some sort of South American. Yeah, different sorts. Do a lot of people go, where are you from? But where are you from from? <sighs> the eye roll. <laughs> You can't hear it, but you should be able to. <laughs> the eyes rolled. Still I rolling. I hate that question so much. I hate, just, I hate it. I, Why? Why? Uh, Why? I mean, even if a person is genuinely interested, like one, there is an assumption that you're not from here, that, you know, I don't fit into your idea of a person who is from here. And, you know, two, why do you want to know? Like, why is it important for you to know? Yeah, so it's it's always a question that, like, gets my hackles up. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely gets us riled up. <laughs> and sometimes there are instances where it is genuinely coming from a loving place of curiosity mm. and, um, you know, it's a safe space and, and um, you know, you're trying to use this point of connection to understand. I feel like there are better ways to ask the question. It's like when I was talking about my friend Nina before, the one um, who, who her dad is Chinese-Malaysian and we met while we were studying Indonesian, like, you know, we were curious about each other's backgrounds, but we didn't go, so where are you from? You know, we asked the question in a different way. And mm. I think it is possible to do that um, to show that you are curious um, about someone and their story and their background um, without making them feel, whether intentionally or not, like they are out of place mm-hmm. or don't belong. So how would you prefer that question to be asked? Maybe something along the lines of, um, you know, like what's your family's background? Mm. Because that's what they're really trying to yeah, ask. That is yeah, that is absolutely what they're trying to ask. You know, if someone says, where are you from, then I will probably tell you um, the geographical location that I am currently living in or grew up in, something along those lines, you know, and if – if I if I sense that what they want to know is what is my ethnicity, then you know I will leave them to ask the question. So, yeah. like, because I used to teach Indonesian and I look like someone who could potentially be 
from Indonesia or Southeast Asia, um, a lot of students would assume that I was Indonesian. Um, and then even when I wasn't teaching Indonesian, um, some students, you know, they would ask, what's your nationality? And I think, you know, what they were really wanting to ask is what's your ethnicity? And so I would use that as a teachable moment for the difference between ethnicity and nationality. But yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's still implied that whatever it is, isn't from here. Yeah, and I quite often find that that question, where are you from, is hinting at how close are you to whiteness? How, you know, where are you on my hierarchy of ethnicities to whiteness so that I can treat you accordingly? Mm. The one positive about the question, from my perspective, is that I feel as if it's a unifier in a way. <laughs> like I, I feel like people that are friends that I have that are kind of like early in their identity journey, it's something that has happened to us all. Mm. And it's such a, even if you're not thinking about race, even if you're not thinking about racism, you have had that question and you've had to grapple with how weird that feels in your body and how are you going to approach it? And um, and I think more and more, particularly in the last five, ten years, there's been many more articles, books, things like that that centre that question and centre the kind of experiences that people have. And it's kind of a gateway in a way to mm. like exploring this stuff. So that's my one positive about where are you from? Is that it brings us all together. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Asimenya, it has been lovely to chat to you. You're very insightful and I just, yeah, I've had a really good time. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming all the way over here. And I also want to thank your friend for I'm not a bird line because I'm taking that into every aspect of my life from, <laughs> from now on and perhaps even printing it on a T-shirt yep. that I will wear yep. when I'm going to be in those spaces. <laughs> thank you for that line, Giovanna. <laughs> You will live on forever now. Bless you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for ha having me and thanks for making this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Being Biracial. This podcast is hosted, edited, produced and all the other things by us, Kate Robinson and Maria Bertmoringer. Just do wahini out here making a podcast. The music that you're listening to is by Green Twins and this is their incredible song, Take It Slow. You can find it on Spotify. BB was developed with the support of Footscray Community Arts through the generous use of their podcast dungeon here on the lands of the Kulin Nation. Our project is also supported through the Maribyrnong City Council Community Grants Program and the Victorian Government through Creative Victoria. We also want to thank Auspicious Arts for all of their help. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We literally couldn't create this podcast without all of you. We love hearing from you. You can find us on Instagram at beingbiracialpodcast or send us an email at beingbiracialpodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could leave us a review. That is one of the best ways to support us at the moment. And if you loved this episode, come on. Why not subscribe? Just do it. Bye. Bye.